I'm Joel Parker. And I'm Susan Moran. This is KGNU's How on Earth, the show that makes you smarter. Today is Tuesday, November 3rd, Election Day, 2015. Coming up, Colorado State University scientist Amy Shefflin will share the latest on her and other studies on our gut and soil microbiomes and how they influence our health. What excites me most about microbes is their amazing ability to help us solve the most pressing problems in human health and the environment. We begin with a look at some of the recent news in science. Scientists have known for a while that the extent of sea ice in the Arctic is dropping as a result of climate change. But they haven't known just how these changes in sea ice extent are going to affect specific local areas. In a new study led by Kathy Barnart of the University of Colorado Boulder, Researchers have investigated what impacts open water expansion are having on very local areas in the Arctic, particularly on coastal areas where most economic activity in the Arctic occurs. Using climate models, the team set out to see how the number of days with no sea ice change from 1850 to 2100 in our planet's northernmost ocean. According to their analysis, the entire Arctic coastline and most of the Arctic Ocean will experience an additional 60 days of open water each year by the 2050s, and many sites will have more than 100 additional days. The study focused on four coastal areas in the ocean off Alaska, Canada, Russia, and Norway. One of the places was Drew Point along Alaska's north slope, where open water is already shifting from pre-industrial conditions. At Drew, from 1900 to 2000, roughly 50 days a year on average were ice-free. But now, that period lasts about 100 days a year. And by the 2070s, the modeling study concludes, there could be close to 200 days a year with no sea ice at Drew Point that will likely worsen coastal erosion. The study was published yesterday in the journal Nature Climate Change. Now for the small details. We've all heard of the mysterious gut microbiome and its many benefits, including synthesizing vitamins, digesting hard-to-process foods, and helping you lose weight. Now, new work from the Salk Institute in San Diego shows that some intestinal bacteria can protect against tissue damage triggered by harmful bacteria. In mice, Infection and intestinal damage can trigger severe muscle wasting and loss of fat. In humans, especially in the elderly, this poorly understood effect is called cachexia. When mice are infected with the food poisoning bug Salmonella or with the lung pathogen Burkholderia, wasting follows and infected mice become fatally ill. Mice that were first colonized in the protective strain of E. coli and then infected with the pathogens did not waste away. The protective E. coli turned on an immune system mechanism that protects muscle cells. We humans have the same immune system process, making it likely that the friendly E. coli are giving us protection. The study was published last week in the journal Science. A new study of the brain of mice shows that structural deterioration associated with old age can be prevented by long-term aerobic exercise starting in midlife. 
To investigate the impact of long-term physical exercise on the brain changes seen in the aging mice, the researchers provided the animals with a running wheel from 12 months old, which is equivalent to middle-aged in humans, and assessed them at 18 months, equivalent to about 60-year-old in humans, when the risk of Alzheimer's disease is greatly increased. Young and old mice alike ran about two miles per night, and this physical activity improved the ability and motivation of the old mice to engage in the typical spontaneous behaviors that seem to be affected by aging. Specifically, the researchers found that structural changes that make the blood-brain barrier leaky and result in inflammation of brain tissues in old mice were mitigated by allowing the animals to run regularly, providing a potential explanation for the beneficial effects of exercise on dementia in humans. The study was published last week in the journal PLOS Biology. How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Susan Moran. You just heard about new research showing how some good intestinal bacteria can protect against tissue damage that's triggered by harmful bacteria. Indeed, microbes, fungi, bacteria, and probably viruses are essential to life on Earth. They're found in soil and water and inside our human gut. There's a lot happening these days in microbiology, figuring out the role these invisible powerhouses play in our health and that of the planet. Just last week, for instance, nearly 50 scientists from as many research institutions proposed a national effort called the Unified Microbiome Initiative. It's kind of akin to the Brain Initiative. The program would coordinate efforts to generate cutting-edge research on microbe cultures. The scientists want the program to lead to breakthrough discoveries in fields ranging from medicine to renewable energy to agriculture. Amy Shefflin is a young researcher in this burgeoning field. She's a doctoral student at Colorado State University in the Department of Food Science and Human Nutrition. And she's hot on the tracks of these tiny problem solvers, studying how they influence our health and the health of the soils and crops. Amy joins us in the studio. Welcome to How on Earth, Amy. Thanks for having me on the show, Susan. So, as I said before, so much is known, but so much is not known. And I want to start, since my gut is full of sugar after <laughs> Halloween, with what's going on in our gut with relationship to sugar and microbes. For instance, I and I think a lot of us take some kind of probiotic thinking, oh, it's going to be good for my gut. I'll have a little more sugar. But is that a total delusion? <laughs> Well, uh, it's a good question, Susan, especially like you say, as we're all coming down from our Halloween sugar high. Um, and one thing we know for sure is that probiotics are not, uh, can't hurt. So it's certainly not going to hurt to take a probiotic. Uh, what's interesting is that they actually eat on very different sugars than what our human bodies thrive on. And so, in fact, the microbes that are the most beneficial to our bodies feed on sugars that our bodies can't break down. And so what I like to tell people is what's possibly even more important than taking a probiotic is making sure you feed the microbes that already live there that are good for you and that you feed these good microbes that are in the probiotic that you're taking. So how do you do that? 
So they feed on complex fibers that are found in fruits, vegetables, whole grains. If you find yourself wanting to avoid those foods, you can also get it in the form of a product such as Metamucil. But they break those fibers down into uh, very tiny molecules that feed the cells in our digestive systems, make sure they're healthy, and they actually keep germs that make us sick, unable from entering our bodies. Very important. Fascinating. So I know for decades, there's been some research saying fiber, fiber, fiber is good for your system, but this is a different reason why, right? Exactly. So our bodies need fiber too to keep, uh, you know, our bodies regular and because it provides uh, bulk in what we're eating to make sure that we stay full and don't eat too much. Uh, but we are just now learning this new role, which is that we need to feed these beneficial microorganisms. They're a part of our immune system. They help us absorb nutrition, and they make sure that our bodies stay, stay disease-free. And so where does your research fit into this sort of burgeoning, but still really emerging field? So uh, the latest study that we're getting ready to publish, we took some individuals that were recovered from colorectal cancer. Uh, that's cancer of the large bowel. So these people were healthy people. And we fed uh, one-third of them 30 grams of rice bran a day. Now, rice bran is the part that we normally remove from rice when we turn it from brown rice to white rice. A lot of people prefer the flavor of white rice, but... Yeah, this is the most nutritional, right? Exactly. That's the most nutritious part of the rice. And then we took one-third of the people and fed them some bean powder. Now, part of why we use these powders is it's very easy to sneak this into foods people already eat every day. <laughs> so it avoids those changes that some of us resist in trying to incorporate healthier foods into the diet. So we pack them into pizza crusts and smoothies and muffins. <laughs> and and why, why bean powder is an alternative or is the contrast? So we specifically chose rice bran and beans because they have very different fibers. So we wanted to see what types of microbes feed on different types of fibers and how that affects our health. And I know it's not yet hot off the press, but give it some preliminary sense of what you're finding. Sure. So uh, interestingly, the, the bean powder seemed to stabilize the community. So it actually changed less than people who didn't receive our dietary intervention. And so that had the opposite effect of what eating rice bran did, which is interesting because what that tells us is it does matter what types of fiber you're eating. They're going to have different effects. And in rice it actually encouraged the growth of microorganisms, this is totally logical, that break down plant material. And what, they, what the microorganisms did, first of all, great, great effect was that the microbes that grew are the ones that are associated with people that are, have a leaner body type versus uh, obese. Uh, body type. So uh, these are microbes that we were happy to see increasing and they were converting these fibers into some very important chemicals that we know prevent cancer. And so is that suggesting then that a diet high in rice bran versus say bean bran or bean powder would help prevent the onslaught of colorectal and perhaps other cancers? What our study shows is that it would be worthwhile doing perhaps a follow-up, especially in these survivors, because uh, colon cancer has a high incidence of people getting tumors again later in life. And so we would want to follow up in, at this point and say, okay, uh, if, if people eat rice bran over the long term, do they get less tumors and less polyps? 
And I think the, the interesting thing with these studies is you always see evidence on both sides. Uh, so we like to villainize some foods and mm-hmm. make other foods superheroes. And I think the yeah. picture is a little more complex than that. But as we start to tease out what each of these foods do, I think we can start to compile maybe a complex list of things that we need in the diet to, to end up with the ultimate goal, which is to prevent disease. And I know this is one particular comparison, but say so much talk about wheat and so many people realizing that they're really gluten intolerant. What about wheat bran? I mean, for many, that's super healthy. Would it have the same effects of rice bran or to be determined? So people are looking at wheat bran too, Uh, not our group, but other groups in Europe and across the globe. And what we're finding is that they do impact some of the gut microbes, very different ones. So again, similar to our study where beans and rice had different effects, even just a grain like wheat versus rice, different fibers in those plants change different microbes. And, I, you know, it's hot on the press, but wheat in particular can be problematic for some individuals because of their immune response to that. And the fact, you know, there's celiac disease, there's also sensitivities. And so if you don't have those sensitivities, wheat can be a great option. But if you do, then it's nice to know that a plant like rice in a whole grain form, like brown rice or in rice bran, could serve to feed those microbes in another way without having to have mm-hmm. whole wheat bran in your diet. So I want to back up a bit and so give us a tour of our gut. Sure. No one gut <laughs> right. is the same as, as the next, but I was kind of astounded. It's just hard to even wrap your mind around hearing there are trillions, right. trillions of microbes in not just our gut, but our whole body. So what does it look like and what are they doing? So it's really fascinating that the microbes in our body actually outnumber our human cells 10 to 1. <laughs> and oh, so, microbes. Yes, so sometimes I ask myself, who's really driving the bus here, right? So if we can keep our microbes happy and on our side, then this is a huge source of keeping us healthy. And the, the microbes that live in our mouth are different than the ones that live on our skin. In fact, the, some researchers uh, here in Boulder, Colorado, even were able to determine who had used a particular computer keyboard based on Uh, microbes that live on your fingers or where you touch on your face because they could look at the microbes that are on your hands and then where they appear on your face based on where you touch. So they're so they're that distinct. They're very distinct. And you could basically tell one family from another family just by sequencing the microbes because our microbes tend to resemble those that we live with, including our pets. I just want to take a little break. Um, We're listening to KGNU how on earth science show i'm susan moran 88.5 fm 1390 am and we're talking to uh, amy shefflin a phd student at colorado state university in the department of food science and human nutrition all about microbes so i know it really depends on what your community of microbes is but is there sort of in a broad brush sense you could say for the health of your gut for your intestinal system, you should do XYZ related to cultivating or maintaining the microbes you have or don't want? Yes, we are learning more about that. Uh, One of the things that you can do actually came up as a news story early on in this show, and that is we're learning that when you do regular aerobic exercise, 
that that helps conserve your mi microbes health and the community's health, especially as you age. You know, as women enter menopause, our hormones change a lot, and that actually is quite a stressor on our microbial community. Mm -hmm. But if we continue to perform aerobic exercise as we age, it helps reduce that stress. So that's just another reason to exercise. And again, the fiber, you know, it's really important because uh, recent studies have shown that even if you have a low fiber diet for as short of a period as one day, your microorganisms in your gut that normally help you can start to starve. Huh. And I don't mean to scare anyone. It sounds a little creepier maybe than it is. But if you don't feed your microbes fiber, they have to look for other sources of food and they frequently will start to break down that protective lining of our digestive tract. Uh, because they can also huh. feed on that if they're starving. So. so is that why or one cause of, say, leaky gut Absolutely, syndrome? absolutely. So huh. we're finding that if you're not feeding your microbes what they need for energy in the form of fiber, they will break down these very protective mucin layers that line the, the intestines, which then, of course, you know, can cause inflammation. And then if that continues to go on, that's when you can get something like leaky gut where it becomes easier for pieces of food or harmful organisms to get through that protective lining. And, and in that case, they actually do leak out of the intestinal area or they're simply not assimilated the way they should be. When so you there, have leaky gut. there is evidence that pieces of the cell wall of the bacteria could leak out. In very, very extreme cases, you can actually get leakage of organisms into the blood. That is a, that is a very, uh, that would be a, a severe case, one that would take a long time to develop, and it would require hospitalization at that point because we don't, we don't want microorganisms infecting and flowing through our bloodstream. That's very, very harmful. And would you know it would be severe pain or? If you had it to that extent, it's called sepsis and you would be very uh, ill. Right. So most people, it does not reach that point. Most people are in, uh, you know, a, a subclinical or a non-hospitalized form, uh, but it can escalate inflammation and then make it harder for the body to stay healthy in other ways. So you, it might come out in the form of, say, an, uh, a, an inflammation of your rheumatoid arthritis where it, it, it flares up. Or if you have a digestive issue, it might flare up because uh, the inflammation in your body is up because of these molecules leaking through the gut. So it can come out in other ways. And what about the influence of microbes, our gut microbes on our very DNA? Right. So they, the microbes can, in certain cases, one way that they can harm our bodies is by creating these chemicals that actually damage the DNA in our cells. So we want to keep those organisms out of our bodies at all costs because what happens is it results in these cells having a mutation in the DNA, which is an, the way that polyps and early forms of cancer begin. Now our bodies have ways to keep that in check, but if those fail, then that would result in cancer. So if we encourage the growth of these groups of organisms that help us stay healthy and create the molecules that keep those types of organisms out, that's just one more way to prevent cancer because we don't want these harmful organisms coming in, creating toxins that can cause our DNA to uh, break down, fall apart, end up creating a tumor. And you know, there are so many stressors in our environment these days, um, not just our own bodies being under stress, but contaminants of various forms in our water, in our air, and in the foods that we eat even, that it's just a really straightforward way that we can start to minimize that because we don't want the organisms living in our body contributing to those effects.
Right. These great problem solvers can all also be the big destroyers. Right. So you want the friendly guys living in yeah. your body, keeping you safe. You know, there are tens of thousands of them. They can help create that barrier so that that doesn't happen. And we don't even have to think about it. They just handle it behind the scenes. Because I was going to say, right, how do we figure out the formula? But you're saying for the most part, they take care of themselves. Right. Just so remember to feed them. So you, knowing, <laughs> knowing as much as you do, how has this so this whole field changed, if it has, your lifestyle, what you eat, how you eat, how you live? So I think it's really important. We learn more and more all the time the importance of eating plant foods. And I think that, you know, there, there have been some big breaking news stories just in the last couple of weeks about uh, the potential for foods like bacon or cured meats to cause cancer. And really, all the experts come down to agreeing that we need to eat plant foods to stay healthy regularly. And those shape even the risk that we get from eating things like bacon or meat. They can actually lessen the risk that you have when you, when you eat them if you're regularly eating plant foods so that your microbiome um, is less likely to create toxins out of those foods. Oh, so eat sense. a lot of plant foods. It's <laughs> really important. So speaking of plants, and you're also doing work, and others are as well, with so-called inoculating soil, sort of sterile soil or over-cropped, you know, over-farmed soil with beneficial microbes to stimulate various traits or enhance various traits in plants, whether it's crop yield or bringing out different nutrition. Give a sense of what you're doing and what's going on in that area and why, why it matters to us. So it's very important in the area of organic agriculture because uh, when you're growing food organically, you're trying to minimize what you add to the soil for the plants to grow and help the natural soil envi environment support the, not only the nutrition in the plant, but also the health of the plant itself so it can resist disease and survive conditions like drought. And there have been some really exciting studies that show that just by adding beneficial organisms to the soil, you can cut back on the other types of inputs like fertilizers that you use for crop by at least 25% and get the same amount of food out. So, um, but the interesting thing is we find this works more effectively in a greenhouse, but when you take it out to the field, it doesn't always transfer. So what we're trying to look at uh, in that research is why is that happening? Why does it work in the greenhouse but not in the field? And uh, our idea is that it's a lot like if you airdropped a medical team into a community in need. Uh, how effective they are is going to depend a lot on the community that's already there. And so we're looking at the community already in the soil and saying, how does that change how these beneficial microbial inoculants are able to help? Interesting. In just 30 more seconds on this front, so could this inoculation process be an alternative to genetically modified crops, particularly when you're enhancing, say, traits for yield increases? I think eventually we're a long way off from that. Uh, genetic modification is a lot faster in its action, but I myself am hopeful that someday we'll get there. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much, Amy, for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Susan. It was fun. That was Amy Shefflin, a PhD student at Colorado State University in the Department of Food Science and Human Nutrition. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. 
This week's show was produced by Susan Moran. The show was engineered by Joel Parker. And our executive producer this quarter is Beth Bennett, who also contributed to Headlines. The theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music from Stereo Fidelix. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Questions or comments? Call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Susan Moran. And I'm Joel Parker.